Hi, I'm Jack Cacciarella. And I'm Aaron Parnas. And this is Zoomed In. On this week's episode of Zoomed In, we will start off, as we always do, by hitting the headlines, talking about the final evacuation from Afghanistan, the end to the CDC's eviction moratorium, statements made earlier in the week by GOP Representative Madison Cawthorn, and the January 6th Select Committee's first steps in attaining the phone records of lawmakers in relation to the January 6th insurrection. After that, we will have an incredible interview with Lincoln Project Executive Director Fred Wellman, and we'll finish up with Tweets of the Week. Aaron, are you excited for this week's episode? Jack, I am so excited. This is going to be a great episode and one that many people need to listen to. Absolutely. So let's not waste any time. Let's zoom in. Aaron, let's hit the headlines. Let's do it, Jack. On Monday, the U.S. military completed its evacuation of remaining civilians and troops from Afghanistan, effectively ending the longest war in American history. Joe Biden had the guts to do what his three predecessors could not, and that was end a forever war. In his press conference on Tuesday, President Biden said, I was not going to extend this forever war, and I was not going to extend a forever exit. Listen, Jack, I think it's a great move by the president. Um, He Like you said, he did what his predecessors wouldn't or rather couldn't do. Um, And regardless of what you think about how the withdrawal happened or whether the withdrawal was necessary, listen, it happened and the war is over. Um, And after 20 years of having our troops on the ground in Afghanistan, the troops are finally returning home to their families, to their loved ones. Um, And many of us young people um, who really grew up during the time of the Afghanistan war finally realize and finally can live in a country that's not at war 24 seven. And we're, we're going to have to live with our, with the ramifications of the withdrawal, but we're also going to have to live with ramifications of going into Afghanistan in the first place. And, and you talk about those ramifications for young people. Um, many of the service members who so tragically died serving our, our country um, were 19 and 20 years old. They were born when this war happened. It, they were born after had, it, it had started and they were paying the price with their lives for a war that would started before they were born. And I, I think agree. it's, I think it's important for us to, to remember, you know, what the sacrifice is, have been and would continue to be if this exit from Afghanistan had not happened, it would be the sacrifices of lives that were not around when the war began. And I think as young people, we were ready to see an exit of a war that we did not want to see happen in the first place because we weren't even around to have an opinion on it. Um, And and I think that's something that needs to be kept in mind going forward. I agree with you. And I think there are going to be a lot of topics of debate moving forward of whether or not we can have relations with the Taliban um, or even have relations with Afghanistan in general anymore, Um, whether we could whether that country rebuilds itself under new leadership um, and whether or not terrorism kind of has a resurgence in the area with ISIS-K, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, um, and other um, insurgent groups in the area. And these are all policy and um, important debates that we're going to have. But the most important thing that we need to focus on today is that we're done with the war. Yeah. And I think President Biden has been steadfast in both his messaging uh, and in his leadership throughout these weeks. Um, and, and I think, Agreed. I, I think 
the American people understand what, what needed to be done uh, happened and that an exit was necessary um, for uh, us to move forward in understanding how America will operate on the world stage going forward. Um, but moving away uh, from foreign policy to domestic policy, Aaron, can you shed some light uh, on the Supreme Court's decision affecting the CDC's eviction moratorium for our listeners? Everyone, Aaron became uh, a lawyer when he was nine years old. He was the youngest <laughs> ever. Um, he, he is our resident law expert uh, presumed in. So Aaron, please shed some light on that Supreme Court's decision that everyone's been talking about right now. Well, last Thursday, the Supreme Court blocked President Biden's COVID-related eviction moratorium. In a 6-3 decision, um, the six conservative-leaning justices ruled that the eviction moratorium as posed by the executive branch of the federal government was unconstitutional as a matter of law. And this has a lot of implications, but being someone who tracks legal decisions and being a lawyer and um, knowing a little bit about constitutional law and how the Supreme Court analyzes its cases wasn't a surprising decision, right? Uh, back, I think about three weeks ago, or about a month ago, the Supreme Court faced a similar case um, when President Biden first extended the CDC uh, moratorium that was initially implemented in the CARES Act. And it was in initially, um, or I don't know if it was in the CARES Act, but it was initially implemented by the CDC. It was implemented in the CARES okay. Act. You're well, correct. it was in yes. the CARES Act. Um, and initially, I think the, the administration, the executive branch extended uh, the eviction moratorium a certain period of time. And it was challenged on appeal uh, by several groups. I think there was a group in Alabama or other groups in these more conservative states. Um, and actually Texas and Attorney General Ken Paxton were leading the way in that charge. Um, and then at the time, Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Roberts voted with the liberal justices and said, no, the eviction moratorium can stand. But they made it clear that if the eviction moratorium were to be extended again, Congress had to do it, mm -hmm. not the executive branch. And here, President Biden was under pressure to act and he acted and he extended the eviction, eviction moratorium, but literally went against what the Supreme Court already said not to do. So mm. it's really not surprising that Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Roberts ruled against this. After giving um, a little bit of a warning to the administration, correct? Exactly. That they exactly. would need congressional action if they wanted to extend the moratorium. And they were only letting it stand at that time because it was soon to expire. So it didn't really Correct. make a lot of sense for them to directly act. Um, Correct. Now, Aaron, you talked about, you know, how the vote went. It was a 6-3 vote. Does this bring up the question that's on the minds of a lot of people um, about Justice Stephen Breyer and whether or not he should make a move to retire while we still have the votes in the Senate to, you know, potentially bring another liberal justice onto the court to replace him? What do you think, where, where is your head in that decision and how um, Justice Breyer should make that move? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not of the belief that justices are liberal or conservative. I mean, yes, they rule one way or the other, and they're appointed by liberal, like Democratic or Republican presidents. And in that sense, I think that Supreme Court justices should be c confirmed by the Senate by a two-thirds majority, at least. Um, I don't like the fact that um, when Trump was president, president that they removed the filibuster um, for Supreme Court nominees. So I, I really think that needs to be a mm. higher threshold to confirm nominees because we need the court to be nonpartisan. I agree. But we're, we're in a world where, unfortunately, the court it has is. become hyperpartisan. It's, it's become politicized. Yeah, it has. In, in that sense, I do think Justice Breyer should retire if he believes that he cannot serve on the court through at least another four years or sorry, another six years, because there is a chance in 2024 that we lose the White House. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know what the chance is, but there is a, always a chance. There's always a chance. We live in a democracy. And can can Justice Breyer um, stay on the court and serve as a competent Supreme Court justice for another six years? I think so. Um, but I do. I also think that I think it's time for him to really seriously consider stepping down in advance of the midterm elections. And I will caution those uh, caution our listeners. The Supreme Court nominee by President Biden is not going to be a super liberal Supreme Court nominee. Um, I actually, I'm going to make a prediction now. It's going to be um, Judge Kentaji Brown Jackson, um, yes. who is going to be the nominee. I am 99% sure of it. Um, and she is not super um, liberal. Um, and she's, she's more of a centrist left judge um, and is a very competent and very successful judge. And I think that um, I, I, would, I would caution those because remember, it's a 50-50 Senate. So President Biden is going to need support from people like Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, and even get some Republican support. I, th- I think Lindsey Graham is going to vote for Biden's nominee, nominee mm. um, and other Republican senators like that. So I do think it's time for Justice Breyer to step down. Um, but and, and for the sake of our um, to hold on to the Supreme Court, because I think that if we have a Republican president in 2024 and Justice Breyer steps down or it would, fur- or it would further politicize the court and it, you know, make that it more and, difficult to- and Jack, a seven to majority um, would be terrible. I mean, I mean, there's really, there's really no going back. I mean, even a six, three majority already, there's really no going back. I mean, you have Justice Coney Barrett, Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Gorsuch, who are going to serve on the court for another 20 years. Justice Robert will probably serve on another court on the court for another at least 15 years. And then Justice Thomas is never going to retire. I promise Hmm. you that 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 guy is going to live on that Supreme Court. And that is a promise from legal expert. Aaron Parnas. So, <laughs> so lock that in. We'll see what happens. Um, now, but yes. speaking, speaking, we were just talking about, of course, Justice Stephen Breyer. Speaking of people uh, who should resign um, and step down, uh, let's talk about Madison Cawthorn. Um, always oh, a fun character. Um, this week, Representative Madison Cawthorn stated that at, a, at a, an event he was doing, uh, it's a lie that President Biden was dutifully elected. And he went on to say, uh, we know the election was stolen. Of course, it wasn't. Uh, then Representative Cawthorn warned of bloodshed and suggested he might regretfully have to take up arms if election systems continued to be rigged, which they are not. Um, Aaron, how do we unpack that statement by a sitting member of Congress that they may have to take up arms against the president and potential, you know, uh, other members of Congress, I'm assuming is what he's implying. How do you unpack that gigantic nonsense (laughs) <laughs> bag of Madison Cawthorn. I, I think Madison Cawthorn probably made that statement when he was taking the sheep or horse medicine um, to prevent COVID-19 <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, but then again, I keep he was a little out it. of it. He was a little out of it. But that, that this is his regular um, way of communicating. So yeah. I, I don't know if he was out of it or not. Anyways, um, yeah. I think um, in every country, there are politicians who are on the far right and on the far left. And they are radical like this and Madison Cawthorn and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert are just those in the United States. And they try to be the loudest voices, but they're the least effective. Mm. Um, and they're the least important. I mean, no one really cares about Madison Cawthorn other than Madison Cawthorn. Um, so, and, and no one wants to hear his voice other than himself. And he yeah. speaks so much and says all these crazy things that, I mean, uh, it's he's speaking in an echo chamber. Those far right Republicans are going to believe everything he says, no matter what he says. So, I, I take it with a grain of salt. What about you, Jack? Well, yeah, it's just that whole House Freedom Caucus of, you know, the Boberts, the Gomerts, the 
the Cawthorns, the Greens. People, some people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, you talk about ineffective and not doing anything. Someone who doesn't even have committee assignments. It's like quite literally <laughs> doing nothing except for going around the country with her buddy, Matt Gates, spreading lies, spreading the big lie and, and doing nothing. So yeah, it's, it's difficult to not jump on that statement and, and blow it up and, and talk about it for a couple of days um, because you don't want to amplify those people. Right. But it's also important that we call him out because I feel like a lot of times the calls for resignation by members of Congress can kind of fall on deaf ears because they happen so often. Um, and I think we need to be a little bit more, um, you know, we have to be a little bit more careful with when we do that. Um, but this is a call to, in ways, insurrection, something that we saw actually take shape on January yeah. 6th. And, and this is a, a, a real example of when a member of Congress should be punished. You know, this isn't well, a... I, I don't, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what Speaker Pelosi and Democrats are doing and what, what they're waiting for. I, they have the opportunity to censure Madison Cawthorn. They have the opportunity to remove Madison Cawthorn from committee assignments. They and, even and have the I opportunity think, to start expulsion proceedings. I think they Madison need Cawthorn. to. Because I was, so I was in D.C. this weekend um, and I was looking at our beautiful Capitol and I was thinking back to January 6th and, and seeing those images. And one thing that I think doesn't make that feel real. Like it feels like it was something out of a movie, something that could never happen. I think to some people it feels kind of distant or not like substantive mm -hmm. because there has been no, there's been no recourse. There has been no punishment laid down, right? So until something actually happens to those who caused that event, I still think it'll, it'll not feel real because how could that have possibly happened? But there won't be, until there's any recourse, until there's ramifications for the Cawthorns, for the Greens, for the Boberts, for the Trumps, you know, it, it won't it won't feel real just because it's it. How could it have been? And well, so it, I think it's up to Speaker Pelosi to act to really uh, in instances like this to show that these aren't just people shouting into the void. These are people they're the nonsense that they spew, their big lies form into insurrections, right? It, it, it's not just nonsense. It's real. It hurts our democracy in significant ways. And so there should be significant punishments for doing so. I agree with you, Jack. And I think we're going to actually probably take a step towards resignation for these people because on Monday, the January 6th Select Committee took its first step in obtaining the phone records of lawmakers and other persons involved in the January 6th insurrection. The committee asked 35 telecommunication companies to preserve records relating to the attack. Now, the name of these members were not revealed at the time, but Chairman Bernie Thompson recently told reporters that the committee is focused on several hundred people of interest, including members of Congress, such as the Gateses, the Boberts, and mm. the Greens of the world. Um, now, there was outrage on the right from Republicans like Jim Jordan, even though he has done nothing in time, during, a Congress, uh, during his time in Congress. But Jeff, what do you really think about this movement? I mean, I think it, it's a big deal that um, these telecommunications companies are just giving this, uh, giving this data up. I think it's, I think it's big. I think it's good. So I got, I got three words and that's, they gon' get them. <laughs> get them is one word. Get them. They gon' get them. Okay. Get them is one word because it's going to happen our, and it's going to happen fast. Jack is our resident cowboy. If you couldn't tell. Yeah. Thank you. Yeehaw. Um, so <laughs> I, yeah, there's movement. There's real movement. This is what I'm talking about with ramifications. We have to show that, that the activities that happened by members of Congress, their involvement in the January 6th attacks, you know, 
Lauren Boebert tweeting out the location of Speaker Pelosi saying this is our 1776 moment, that there's real ramifications for what happens. I think we have to show that there is, uh, that, that actions on social media or actions by members that may seem like, you know, it's like the whole Tucker Carlson thing where it's like, no one could possibly believe right. what I'm saying because it's so outlandish. And so he, he tries to get away with it by saying, by saying that, saying no one could possibly believe me. And I think that's what those those representatives try to do in a way as well, saying, well, you know, I, I wasn't being serious. Like, who would believe that, you know, Jewish space lasers and, you know, Matt Gates this or that, right? And so I think actually having ramifications and punishments for it will show that, first of all, you can't do this stuff because it does actually affect our democracy and we will put an end to it. I agree with you, Jack. And listen, actions speak louder than words. And here the Congress people took very specific actions. They planned um, this event. Um, they had pr- meetings beforehand. They put the public on notice of everything that was happening from Speaker Pelosi to be, uh, being evacuated in the chamber to um, their conversations with the former president. And at the end of the day, I, re- I always go back to Title 18 United States Code Section 2383, which says that whoever incites a rebellion or an insurrection against the authority of the United States shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for not more than 10 years. And I think that real action is coming. I think that I would predict and I would hope that the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia will, be, will bring in insurrection charges eventually, um, as, at least conspiracy charges against yes. insurrectionists. And we're going to see what happens. And I really think that these Congress people, if the records prove whatever, what the public thinks, if they pre-planned this event, if they helped give tours to the Capitol, mm-hmm. they deserve to be punished, yep. right? I mean, swiftly, so, quickly, so we'll, go we'll get see em. what happens. Go get them. And speaking of people who go out and go get them, um, this leads perfectly into our interview um, with Fred Wellman, a true champion of the old fuck around and find out. Uh, and he is a big part of finding out and you do not want to find out with Fred Wellman. So we are so excited uh, to have him. So stick around for our interview. We are so incredibly excited to be welcoming former Lincoln Project Executive Director, uh, now Senior Advisor and Veteran Fred Wellman to Zoomed In. Fred, thank you so much for coming on the show. We are so excited oh, it's to great have to you be here, on. guys. I'm excited. It's good to see you, Jack and Aaron. It's uh, fun, to, fun to hang out with you finally. Yeah, my my former the former boss of mine, and now you know we're we're it's it's come full circle. Now you're just caused some good trouble, didn't we? We caused some good trouble. Yeah, we did. We got the job done. Um, so I, I think we have to start um, where uh, there's no other place we could, and that's talking about Afghanistan. Um, yeah. And so, Fred, we wanted to open it up by asking you a pretty loaded question, um, <laughs> and and that's what should young people expect out of the U.S. moving forward mm. uh, in terms of the way we are going to be conducting foreign policy as we move away from this impossible idea of nation building? That's such a great question. And there's, and there's levels to it. You know, I'm a 22 year army veteran. Um, I was actually, I had left the active army on before 9-11. I was in the reserves. I got mobilized that day Mm -hmm. and rejoined the army for another nine years, did three Iraq tours. So, and then my son-in-law went to Iraq and then my son joined the army and did four years. So you know, my dad's a veteran, so it, it runs in our family. So, you know, as I said today on Twitter is, you know, the, the war in Afghanistan was sort of the, the background music to the last 20, 20 years for mm. any military family. It certainly was mine. Um, 
But one of the things I'd like to say is the, the unfortunate, what we've seen with the 20 years, the global war on terror and everything 9-11 is there's the old, if you old saw that when, uh, when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, mm. right? Yeah. And if you look at how we've done a lot of our foreign policy in the, in, since 9-11, it really is, we, we just keep hammering things. Well, let's, mm-hmm. let's fly a predator over it. You know, let's invade, <laughs> let, you know, well, wait, little girls need to go to school. Well, the army needs to do that. Like it, the, the solution to everything was a different kind of hammer. And, and what, I, what I like to say is when we started the global war on terror, we only had a select few hammers. We had like a nuclear right. weapon hammer. We mm-hmm. had a conventional war hammer. We had, you know, then we developed this whole new man, we got hammers. specialty hammers, right? We got predator hammers now, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, uh, unfortunately, if, if they teach you as a young officer that there's there's more than just the, the military is just one aspect of the of the tools of foreign policy. There's there's diplomacy, there's economic, mm-hmm. you know, there's intelligence, right. there's these other tools. And, and we've really leaned on the military aspect since since the, since we started the, the global war on terror. So my hope, my hope for your generation, and, and this is truly why I was a proponent for ending the global, the, the, the forever wars, we called it. Uh, and a lot of people were shocked by that. I'm, I'm a soldier. I'm a warrior. Um, you know, I, I have no love for Al-Qaeda or, or, or the Taliban, obviously. Uh, but in the end, a multi-generational war um, is appalling to me. Um, yes. You know, right. I, my old boss was General David Petraeus. Uh, he was the architect of not just the Iraqi surge, but everybody forgets he also was the architect of the Afghan surge in mm-hmm. 2012 with Mr. Obama. And, you know, and General Petraeus had told Mr. Obama at that time, well, you know, this will do it. You know, after this, we'll have control. And it's been nine years since then. And, yeah. and, and just so you guys understand, just if it was if the war had started back in 2012, nine years would still be the longest war in American history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, so it's it's the longest war in history since the last time we tried to end the thing. So so for me as an old warrior, a father of a veteran, a father of a serving, uh, a final of a serving soldier, um, I don't want to see your generation fight my wars. Um, I, I do believe it's time that the American people and the American government use other tools in our toolbox. And we have some yeah. beautiful tools, you know, we have that aren't powerful. hammers. Right. Other than right. hammers. And so, yeah. and you can keep your hammer and you, it's nice to, it's nice when the bad guys look and they see hammers in the bag, mm-hmm. but we have economic, we have, we have dip- diplomatic you know, diplomacy. I mean, so my hope is, uh, and it's, it's a, mostly hope, um, and, and some, and some dreaming and, and having worked with Mr. Biden, um, over the years when he was a Senator, um, my hope is that we do return to the elements of diplomacy. We return to the elements of economic, you know, that we use those tools in our toolbox before we resort to warfare, before we resort to sending some kids to war. And, and I think that's something that our generation is very keen on. And that's something sure. that we understand because yep. it's been, it's been devastating to see that some of the service members who have lost their lives were just as old as the war itself. 20. Like, they were at the 100%. age of the war. Yeah, it, of it that was 13, half of them were 20 years old. It, it's terrible. And I think that a lot of people in our generation, I mean, Jack and I have said it before, is that many of us grew up only knowing war. I mean, right. we, all, we grew up, 95% yeah. of my life was we were in war. 100% of Jack's life, we were in war. Yep. Now, I, I read your thread earlier today on Twitter. Yeah, it was Fred, great. And I, I thought Thank it was you. really fantastic. Thank you. Um, and a couple of things caught my eye on that. One is the idea that, warfare, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, really has changed over the past 20 years. We're not yep. really doing war on the ground anymore. Um, it, it, like you said, in Germany or in Japan, where it war is a 10,000 is a drone strike from 10,000 feet. Correct. Um, so what, what do you see is the, as the future of warfare, um, of how America interacts with other countries in that regard? And then also, it's a, a sec, the second part to that question, 
a lot of Republicans are claiming that we're going to be back in Afghanistan in a few years, in 10 years, in 20 years, because of the Taliban um, and because of the situation there. Do you see us being back there eventually? I don't know, but I don't believe that's still a reason for us to stay, right? Again, there's there's lots of places I'm going to have to fight again someday, maybe, but but the it's it's an excuse to keep doing what we did. My frustration has always been with the Afghan war uh, and how we fight these wars is there was always a reason that we, we kept having to turn the corner. There was a corner being turned or it just one more year or, or the idea that there was some sort of a status quo. And that was my point in that thread. Your status quo, what you see as status quo, what Republicans, especially right now, or warmongers, because they're on both sides, right. see as status quo is what I mentioned in my thing. They literally don't have a problem with the fact that 13 of our soldiers, our service members, Marines, Navy, soldier, got killed. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in that same bombing, over 170 uh, Afghans got killed. Right. 170. That's a lot of death. And then we found there was another terrorist attack. We took that vehicle out with a Hellfire missile from a Predator, probably. Right. Probably 10,000 feet. Um, And the explosion that set off killed a family. Right. You know, and so how much death do you want? Yeah. You know, it, it, again, it's, it's not, there's been a lot of people saying, well, we had a status quo, like, in, you know, we stayed in Germany 70 years. Yeah. But we weren't blowing up cars on the Autobahn in Germany. <laughs> okay. Right. You know, we weren't, we weren't having our bases run into by car bombs in Germany. You know, we were instead we were going on buses to go to Bavaria and get drunk on Hefeweizen. And so I get very angry when I see these, 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 a lot of them were the architects of the war. I, I said something early in this process that there's a whole lot of architects blaming the carpet layers for their fucking failure, right? Mm. <laughs> okay. Again, <laughs> a lot of these architects of this war, you see the ones now, my favorite one now is seeing people like Mr. Kagan and others say, well, our strategy was right, but nobody executed it right. Like, mm. No, okay. It, it, right. It, 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 all that's wrong, okay? Yeah. In the end, it comes down to one thing. You guys, you, my sons and daughters, because you guys are younger, it could be my kids. My youngest is 23. My sons and daughters, my son-in-law is 32. He's a soldier in the National Guard. I'm sending my kids to war. And, and I believe that right. we as Americans and any parent, if I was an Afghan parent, should should value the lives of our, our next generation enough to question why they're going to war and question why what's in the American national interest. Again, I, I don't I don't want I, one of the congressmen said it really well because look, I, I do want Afghan children, girls to go to school. Yes. I want the Afghan people to survive and thrive. But the thing is, there's girls in Saudi Arabia that don't get to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. They don't like to drive. There's girls in Af- all over Africa not going yeah. to school. And, and that shouldn't um, be the job of our, of right. our military to execute so how, on yeah. making sure that happens. Right. How is and, it and my son's job? Go yes, to fix that. Especially someone who was not there when it when this, like you said, right. talking about the architects of the war, who is right. not there to have an opinion on it because they weren't born yet. Someone right. who wants to serve, but the way that they that they have been forced, or you know, that the way that they are serving. Is, is something that was decided long before they were born. Right. Or done. I mean, we killed Osama, Osama bin Laden in 20. The most ridiculous damn thing I saw ever was from uh, Michael Gerson today. And the headline he put on this damn thing, I was, you know, the architects of 9-11 have finally won. Like, no, asshole. The architects of 9-11 are all yeah. fucking dead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all the architects of 9-11 are fucking dead or hanging out in Guantanamo Bay. Okay. Literally. Osama bin Laden is fish food at the bottom of the fucking Indian Ocean. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So yeah. even Mullah Omar, the leader of the Taliban at that time, is 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 dead and buried. Okay. So yeah, the ridiculousness of that statement 
is so mind-boggling. You know, that that well, the, the generation that launched the 9-11 attack is fucking dead. So we should keep fighting with our next generation against their next generation. You know, at what yeah, point do just, we again that's we that is forever war? Yes. And and, yeah. and that's why I said today we did not lose the Afghan war. It's just over. We were losing over. by being we weren't there. losing, but because when I say when you people just, say to me, did we win? How come we didn't win? Where we lost, I say, okay, define winning. How would you wanted how would you have wanted us to win? What the does winning look losing like? losing is winning, right? So, so what does it look if, like? If we lost, what would winning look like? And they're always gonna say, Well, we could have maintained the status quo too. No, 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 no. Status quo is not winning, you know. No. Right. Are you willing and to it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been acceptable to Right. You know the, the far right. They would have yeah. wanted the more. opposite of losing is not losing is is yeah is winning, not not losing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> What's and our I, goal? Our goal is not to lose. Well, that's not a fucking goal, you know. Our, our, I mean, our, literally, our goal guy. should be to make sure that American lives and American interests are protected. And that right. wasn't happening. And what's in the what's in the best? You know, the, the way I was taught as a young as a young soldier during the Cold War was the and the Colin Powell, you know, the Powell doctrine. This again, what's in the national interest of the United States of America? Is there a security threat to the United States of America? That's why it's so. The most hilarious thing is seeing these congressmen on TV saying, "Oh my God, the Taliban got all this military equipment. This is a real threat." Fuck, dude! An armored Humvee is not a threat to the United States right, of America. Exactly on the other side <laughs> yeah. of the fucking globe. Okay, uh, MI seventeen is not a threat to the United States of America. It, there, there isn't a single thing in that arsenal that's a threat to the United States of America. And and what are they going to invade Tajikistan? No, fuck no. <laughs> None of that equipment is a freaking threat to anybody except themselves driving into a ditch. I also think it's <laughs> really. I think it's really funny because Republicans, um, these same Republicans who are warmongering now, um, were the same ones who approved George Bush's decision back in 2002 mm. when the Taliban literally yeah. said, we're going to hand over Osama bin Laden to you. We're going to give him to you. Just stop bombing us. Let us become this legitimate entity yep. in Afghanistan. And Bush was like, absolutely not. He wanted right. to go to war. Revenge. He had a different he had a different reason. And, and so. speaking of nonsense from the GOP, did you see did you see Kevin McCarthy saying, you know, oh, the deal that <laughs> President Biden made, you know, you can't make a deal with them. How can they be trusted? And Bob's question is obviously, well, didn't President Trump? There's literally videotape, right? Make I always a like deal saying, and he didn't have anything attached to it. He just made a deal. Thousands I can prisoners see released. Pompeo saying, is it we, you know, it's we like, have a deal? Y'all, there's video of this shit. You know, there's yeah. video, right? <laughs> Kevin McCarthy you know? doesn't care about the last thing he said. He's just saying a new thing right. all the time. And, it doesn't and matter. Again, to him. It's all back in the Fox News hits. It's about the anger cycle. Yep. Um, you know, that it's it's about continuing the the, the cycle of anger and, and, and getting people riled up, you know, today. And I and I guess that's their strategy, but well, we know that know, they're willing to, you know, spend American lives to win political points. As long as it's not their kids. I mean, that's, yeah. and that's, and again, I'm not one of those veterans, like if you didn't serve or you don't have a right to come, I'm not that guy. But by the same token, I get very, very angry and you'll see me consistently say, there's a lot of people willing to put my kids' lives in danger, but not theirs, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of people who are willing to be tough guys and say we should kill things, we should wipe out whole states, but they're not the ones pulling the trigger. Because I got to tell right. you, some of the most messed up, I shouldn't say that, some of my most challenged peers in the veteran space, the most, the men with the most, and women, thank you, with the most difficult PTSD challenges to include yours truly, came from killing someone else, came from seeing one of their soldiers or having their soldiers or service members get killed under their command, right? Survivor's guilt, if you will. Those are the most, those are the people I see often with the most guilt, right? Because we're just not raised that way as Americans or or anyone. You could call it the Judeo-Christian, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. but we're not raised the idea of taking another person's life is okay. And you can't yeah. train that. You just can't train that. So the I, these people who have a, are so horny for killing, aren't the people who are going to do the killing. Yeah. And, 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 oh, by the way, I'm in Missouri now. 
And I was talking to a state senator today in Missouri. And currently, the Veterans Commission of Missouri is underfunded by the state of Missouri to the tune of $38 million. Now, let me tell you, Josh Hawley is out there with a super giant heart on for us to kill more people. But in his own home state, they're not funding the Veterans Commission so that old veterans can have you know, homes to live in when they die, you know, until they die or get health care. So that's the most infuriating part of this. I'm really warning for you to go send your kids to war, but when they get back, fuck them. Yeah. Right. right? And we're not going to, I'm also a fiscal conservative, we're not gonna right? use the money that we've dumped <laughs> right. into these endless right. wars to right. do something to support our veterans. $38 million for the veterans home system here in Missouri. So that retired, you know, senior veterans, others who need care can have it. They can't hire enough nurses. They can't hire enough caregivers to the tune of $38 million. But here's Josh Hawley. Who doesn't even saying, live hey, there. What? Who lives we in need Virginia. More. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, so I've really got very little patience for chicken hawk bitches like Josh Hawley and Kevin Smith, Kevin McCarthy, Kevin Smith. That's a terrible thing. Sorry, man. I love your movies. Uh, you know, <laughs> Kevin McCarthy, these other guys who are really have a heart on to send other people's kids to war and then forget them the minute they fucking get back. Yeah. And, and so I'm in angry veteran mode today. I apologize. But you yeah, know, so okay. it's just, no, so, it, you know, what is the future? The, the future is, is that your generation gets that, that your generation is saying, look, there's gotta be a better way. I'm so proud. I, I, I serve with so many great soldiers who are your age. Um, and, 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 and they're so inspired to see young men and women step up and the responsibilities we put in their shoulders. I mean, we had these young men and women over in Afghanistan manning a gate. So as it turns out, the company commander of that Marine company is a former mentee of mine who I met when he was your age. Wow. 10 years ago. He was a student at George Washington University and was running some of their veterans work, their military outreach stuff. He was actually an undergrad at the time, um, not even a veteran yet, but he was running their veteran stuff. And, um, and, and this young man I've known who actually helped me get a couple, he actually was an intern for Elizabeth Dole. Um, and, and this young man lost um, 11, 11 of his Marines. Wow. It, was, it was 25% of his company was wiped out in one bomb. And, and they've been told to get off. They've been urged to get off the gate, but they knew there was more American citizens in the crowd. There was more uh, uh, interpreters and uh, civs. We call them civs, special immigrant visas in that crowd. So they, his troops, his Marine insisted on continuing to try and vet the crowd and get them in. Yeah. And then, and then one of these motherfuckers had a bomb, you know? Awful. And so, you know, seeing that I know the agony that Jeff's going to go through that Captain Ball's going to go through. Uh, Cause I lost two of my men in desert storm. And I was just 20, uh, his age. My first man got killed. I was 24 years old. Wow. So 25. So, you know, it is, um, it's something you carry. And so I believe that my role as this gray grizzled, clearly angry old veteran <laughs> is to fight for those young men and women. So they don't have to die senselessly because old men send them to war and old yeah. women. Most and, old and men. I, and I agree with you. Um, and I think that the fact that we, we can sit here and many people can sit here and question decisions made by our country and our by, lead, by our leaders, whether it's President Biden or right. any, any predecessors. And we, we could talk about that for hours, but at the end yep. of the day, the war is over. And it's all about looking forward and not looking it's over. back. Yeah, um, it's over. Exactly. And, and, and so all this talk about awesome. going back, all this talk about bombing them some more. You know, can we just not, can we just spend a day not killing anybody? You know, just not. <laughs> why don't we do that? And yeah. why don't we hold the Taliban accountable? On the international, I was disappointed to see the Biden administration. I'll be very candid; was very disappointed to see the Biden administration turn down the offer to leave an embassy behind. That was monumentally short-sighted. That's that's giving in to the Fox News bullshit. 
You want to engage in a nation? We have an embassy in Saudi Arabia. They're just as shitty their people as the freaking as the Taliban. I'm sorry. At the top, <laughs> the, the people who killed the, the people who did 9-11 were Saudi Arabians. Right. Okay. But we certainly have an embassy there. Mm-hmm. What was President Trump's very first international tr- tw- visit? Fucking Saudi Arabia. Okay. If we can keep an embassy in Saudi Arabia, then we can keep an embassy in, in, in Afghanistan because now we're on the playing field. We can influence things. Mm-hmm. You can say, hey, you're not treating these people right. But walking away, I mean, look, if we and not really applying, did and not have the you know, ability not to apply any different sort of pre- uh, pressure. The D, the D. We, we literally just said, fuck it. If we can't blow you up, we're out. Well, yeah. to that that's, end, that's short sighted as hell. I mean, Fred, to that end, do, what do you, how do you respond to the Republican criticism and the Fox News criticism that the Taliban is a terrorist group? Um, and we shouldn't have relations with terrorist groups. Like we don't have one in, with North Korea in a way. We don't have um, we do. Syria. It's, I mean, it's all, we, all that sounds awesome, but we do, right? It, 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 it again, it, it, yes, the Taliban are horrible. They are terrorists. Um, they are right. murderers. Um, but now they're the government. Here's the thing. If we really did stand in Afghanistan for 20 years to take care of the, to, to help the Afghan people have a better life, that really was, if that really was our mission after say a year, which it was, you know, all the talk, oh, we built schools for kids and girls, but great. Then we should still care about the Afghan people. Mm-hmm. And and they chose. I mean, nobody wants to admit this. Like it or not, in whatever form it was, look, the Taliban did not conquer the country. They negotiated it. Okay. The reason the reason Afghanistan fell in 11 days was because the Taliban started negotiating with the tribal leaders and police chiefs and army post commanders and sheikhs and mayors. I don't call them sheikhs there, but they they, they started negotiating a year and a half ago. And and they had a whole plan in place. They executed it. And, and that country was conquered with barely a shot fired. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, sure, there was some fighting, but for the most part, most of those capitals fell, the provincial capitals fell without a shot. And what that tells you is that whatever reason, it wasn't the ballot box, but the Afghan people made a decision who their government should be. Um, right. So if our goal was to really take care of the Afghan people, then just saying, well, screw it. We don't like the government, so we're out. Um, yeah, it's when true. I, if, not, yeah, right. If yeah, if what we wanted to do was protect them, then we have right. to stay in a place in you know, in not militarily, but we no. have to be able to affect change in the country. Maybe it's different way and shape that, that maybe it's economic. I mean, the fact is the the Taliban have inherited a landlocked country surrounded by enemies and and relying on foreign aid. That's yep. just the facts. And and now we've walked away. Russia didn't close their embassy. So if we're in a great power, that's the other thing. If we're truly in a great power competition, like we've said we are, then why would we just give up a whole country to our, our adversaries? Well, so because we're mad, because we're hurt, because we're angry. Oh, they're terrorists. That's great. But, you know, I'm a realist, too. You know, I mean, and, and so Afghanistan in that area is a extremely important from like a strategic perspective. It is. Mm-hmm. And, and we just said area. peace out. Exactly. We just, we're not going to peace out. And the answer isn't to go back with weapons. We, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm frustrated. Obviously, I, I do believe. I just want to see us stop using cameras. Going back to what we talked about at the top of this discussion, I, would, I would like to see my government recognize there's other means to accomplish our foreign policy objectives yes. beyond the military. Um, it doesn't have to be a message delivered by predator. It could be a message delivered by an ambassador. And is it perfect? Is it? Don't, but that's why there's a sliding scale. If they don't get that message, then we use economic. If they don't get that message, then we use something else. But it just seems like the only thing we ever want to deliver is a message via predator. And it's a really shitty way to send a message because as I said, we took out that terrorist and we just we were justified in killing that terrorist. 
but we also killed 10 people, including six kids. So do you think, you know, one thing we talk about communications is, and, and when you communications is there's the, there's the sender mm-hmm. receiver and the message <laughs> the means of communication. And oftentimes the message the sender believes he's sending is not the message being received by the, mm-hmm. the person right. receiving it. I'm got to tell you guys, we may, we may think we showed those fucking terrorists because we killed them, but the Afghan people, what they saw was a funeral for six kids, mm-hmm. six kids. And so we're not saying the right message when we deliver it by predator. Yeah. And, and it's, it's time for us to, as we have end a forever war and it's time for us to end the mentality uh, of war that way. Yeah. Uh, and, and with that, um, Fred, thank you so much for coming. Thank you guys. It was a fun conversation. Time. Yeah, it was fantastic. And, well, and fun, this interesting. Is, <laughs> <laughs> fantastically interesting. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think that, I think, you know, this is, is going to be, Great. Having these conversations is what we need Agreed. to lay out the next steps of how the U.S. will interact on the forum. And, and I love that you're having it. I love that your generation is having the conversation. I'd love to see more because this is the, look, my whole bit, my whole sole purpose in life as a father and as a soldier and everything else is to hand this thing to you guys, you know, hand this democracy for whatever it's worth back to back to your generation. So seeing your generation step up and say, look, this is our view of it. Um, I'm just very, I'm very proud of you to do that. So if I can help in any way, I'm going to do it. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Thank so you for Fred. coming on. Thank you. Thanks guys. My pleasure. Just do it again. Now it's time for everybody's favorite segment. And Aaron, I know it is absolutely your favorite. You tell me all the time. You adore it. It's, it's a blast. It is time for Tweets of the Week. Oh, I'm excited, Jack. And I'm excited, excited for the viewers to hear about what you call is a funny sandwich, whatever that is. Yes, we have a funny sandwich. We have a funny tweet and then two important, thoughtful, serious tweets. And then we finish with another funny tweet. So that's a funny sandwich, if you didn't know. Now we're learning today on Zoomed In. Um, so our first tweet is going to be, uh, like our our first tweet from last week, is going to be talking about sheep medicine. Because for some reason, we're still on that. Um, So Maddie Timmer says, I'm waiting until the pumpkin spice ivermectin is available. Um, Talking about, you know, it's fall. So maybe GOP members go to Starbucks, get a nice pumpkin spice latte, throw some heartworm medicine in it, call it a day (laughs) instead of getting the vaccine. That'd be very fun um, if that's what you're into. Aaron, are you a big pumpkin spice guy? Are you a big coffee drinker? Nah, I don't really drink much coffee unless it's Cuban coffee. Ooh, fun. That's a nice thing. You got to come to Miami. Um, the cafecitos down here are fantastic. I like it. I'm, I'm going to have to. Um, our, next, uh, our next tweet um, comes from Mohamed Safa. He says, the problem with this country is people who make $700 per hour have convinced people who make $25 per hour that people who make seven dollars and 25 cents per hour are the problem um, literally like let this po- let these politicians live off of seven dollars and 25 cents an hour for a change or how about let them live off of 300 dollars a week of unemployment benefits they will never do that whatever yeah and and that's basically the the gop platform in a nutshell is let's get the american people divided so that we can take advantage of them and help our wealthy donors so i think that perfectly sums up um, the twisted platform of the GOP. Um, On to our next tweet, uh, Afghanistan-related. Uh, Mehdi Hassan says, um, we invaded Afghanistan to fight a terrorist group, Al-Qaeda, that attacked us. As we leave, we are attacked by another terrorist group, ISIS, worse than Al-Qaeda, 
and which didn't exist when we invaded. I've said it before, all war on terror has given us was more war and more terror. It's true. True. And that's why we had to end our forever war. That's why we had to end after almost 20 years, um, the war in Afghanistan, because it was giving us nothing but more war. Um, and, And that is not a burden that young people need to take on any longer or that the American people need to take on any longer. Um, and to close out tweets of the week, to close out the funny sandwich, um, we have a tweet about our good friend, but not really, um, Paul Ryan, former speaker, uh, on, on Tuesday said that uh, President Biden, you know, as this is true, <clears throat> was elected president. Uh, and he was pretty proud of himself for that. He thought he did a good job by saying the most obvious um, and helpful to our democracy thing that you possibly could. He thought he deserved a little bit of props for doing the bare minimum. So the onion tweets, Paul Ryan lauded for inspiring millions of young gutless fucking cowards to take on leadership roles. Um, Paul Ryan is a part of, you know, the, uh, the, the most spineless of our representatives in history. He is joined by, of course, Marco Rubio, a fan favorite of the spineless senators. If you really like spineless people, you're going to love Marco Rubio. Uh, and also joined by Kevin McCarthy. Those are three spineless individuals. So if you like uh, gelatin, for a back, I'd say go check them out because they fill that role pretty well. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we don't need to, you know, hate on Paul Ryan anymore because we'll have plenty of time to do that later. So that was Tweets of the Week. Thank you so much for joining us. And that's our show. Thank you to Fred Wellman for coming and joining us for an incredible interview. And thank you all for Zooming in with us today on, on, on our episode. Aaron, where can the people find you? On all of my social media platforms at Aaron Parnas. That's A-A-R-O-N-P-A-R-N-A-S. What about you, Jack? You can find me on Twitter at J.D. Cacciarella. That's J-D-C-O-C-C-H-I-A-R-E-L-L-A. Uh, and please go follow the show on Twitter. We post clips every week of the show. That is at Zoomed In Podcast on Twitter, at Zoomed In Podcast. Please go follow us. Check us out. You'll get all the latest clips, all the newest updates and news. And also, if you want to be the first to hear Zoomed In every Wednesday, subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast, and leave a review. We'd love to hear some feedback on the show, uh, and we'd love to know that you guys are listening. So thank you so much again uh, for Zooming in with us, and we will see you next week on Wednesday.